This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Hello, my name is Ricardo, and this is the Outer Limit Frequency. Maybe it's because I grew up in the 90s, but for some reason my mind just refuses to believe that the 70s were in fact 50 years ago. But they were, like, mathematically. This means that many of the great, groundbreaking records of the early 70s, 1971 to be specific, are now turning 50. It turns out that 1971 gave the world some of the most important albums in the canon of what we call progressive rock. One of my favourite subjects on the show, apparently. But this realisation led me to think about other great prog albums from 1981, 1991, 2001, and so forth. So on tonight's episode, I'll be looking at the history of prog rock by decade, from 1971 all the way to the present day. And when I think of the state of prog in 1971, one album leaps immediately to mind. Jethro Tull formed in 67, but they never really gained traction in the public consciousness until the release of their seminal Aqualung record. Even in Prague's heyday, Aqualung stood out for several reasons, even more so than their famous use of a flute. It was a record that wasn't afraid to be both modern and archaic at the same time. Not even Jethro Tull's most experimental contemporaries were lacing their cutting-edge music for cool cats with medieval motifs quite the way that Ian Anderson and company were. And to prove this wasn't the album's only hook, they were kind enough to bring some incredible tunes to back up their sheer audacity. You're perhaps familiar with Cross-Eyed Mary, Locomotive Breath, or Hymn 43, but it's the title track that steals the show here.
Dark Side of the Moon stands as one of the most famous and beloved progressive rock records of all time. But as luck and history would have it, that was released in 73, which falls outside the purview of this episode. But such landmark albums never exist in isolation. The paranoia, alienation and navel-gazing which made Darkseid a cult classic was a continuation of the themes of its predecessors, primarily 1971's Metal. And make no mistake, Metal was a game-changer for Pink Floyd. This was their first truly important album to feature an infamous but highly influential 70s lineup of Roger Waters, Rick Wright, Nick Mason and David Gilmour. This next song is the album's epic opening track, One of These Days, a track whose legacy was only enhanced by the electric performance from the band's Live at Pompeii documentary. One of these days, I'm gonna think of a better way of introducing this song. I'm <laughs> 
Jumping forward to 1981, progressive rock was in a very different state than it was 10 years prior. Many of the luminaries from previous decades were fighting to reinvent themselves and stay relevant in rapidly changing times. And no prog rock band demonstrates this better than King Crimson. Robert Fripp's fearless musical magicians had disbanded in 1974 and gone to ground, seemingly for good, only to resurface in a nearly unrecognisable form seven years later. In order to create their game-changing 1981 album Discipline, King Crimson threw out the playbook that had made them icons in the 60s and 70s. They were actively seeking an uncharted path forwards, and they approached us with an entirely new lineup. Other than Robert Fripp, former Yes drummer Bill Brufford was the only member who survived the previous incarnation of the group, and they were joined by Tony Levin on a variety of bass guitar analogues and Adrian Ballow on vocals and guitar. These new players, armed with a new modus operandi, with a perfect reimagining of prog rock for the nervous, twitchy vibes of the early 80s. This incarnation would go on to make another two albums in quick succession before things somehow got even weirder. But that is a story for another time. For now, this is King Crimson with Frame by Frame from Discipline, 
old hand is looking for another turn in that limelight, the early 80s helped to usher in a new generation of progressive rockers. And none of that crop are as famous or as widely beloved as Toronto's own Rush. The iconic trio started life actually all the way back in the late 60s, but for whatever reason their early work never gained much traction, to their 21-12 record from 1976 being the possible exception. Instead, their biggest breakthrough came in, surprise surprise, 1981, with the release of Moving Pictures a peerless album that captures the tone of prog in its day better than any other. And this record also happened to include one of the most recognisable prog rock songs of the entire decade, if not all time. And it's one that's been a fixture of rock radio in every single Rush tour ever since. I admit, I'm a little shocked that we've never played this one on the show before. But since there's no time like the present, this is Rush with Tom Sawyer.
time the 90s arrived, it seems as if the climate of rock music had very little use for its progressive cousin. Rather, the charts were dominated with the punk-influenced grunge movement, the diametric opposite of Prague's fanciful meanderings, which meant there wasn't much room for a new wave of the genre to enter the conversation. Most of the albums this year came from long-established prog acts, including, but not limited to, Rush, Yes, Marillion and Camel, but none of it would be considered in any way essential. One of the newer acts who did manage to break through to some small degree was Osric Tentacles. The British quartet had started in 83, but despite garnering a rabid fan base at home off the back of their live shows, they didn't release any albums until 1989's deeply obtuse Pungent Effulgent. This was followed by records every year or so for another decade, but for the purposes of this episode we are naturally looking at their output from 1991. And can you think of a more 90s record name than Strangitude? It evokes a self-aware radness that prog rock bands of the era had to overcome to be taken seriously, but Osric Tentacles unironically fell headfirst right into the cheese. And to make things worse, here's the album's closing track, Weirditude. God, I hate these song names.
Certitude. It didn't take long for the 21st century to drop a landmark prog rock record, one whose success and impact the band in question has spent the following 20 years trying to chase. Seemingly tired of crafting tongue-in-cheek alt-metal apocalypse anthems, the lads from Tall set about making something more distant and high-minded than ever before, entitled Lateralis. To achieve this, Tall signed up for the whole prog rock suite of daftness. Long multi-part songs, esoteric titles, alien-sounding compositions, and remote personalities were the name of the game here. Through its sheer lack of fanfare and distaste for accessibility, Lateralis built itself as a serious piece of art for serious music fans. And music fans like myself, who were low-key desperate to be taken seriously in 2001, lapped it up. Considering that this record was instrumental in sparking a worldwide interest in progressive metal that persists to this day, I think it's safe to say the gambit was successful. This is Tall with The Patient.
2011 came with another shift in the representation of progressive music. While traditional prog rock forms weren't particularly popular 10 years ago, there had been a massive surge in progressive metal acts making headway into the relative mainstream, off the back of game-changing albums like the aforementioned Lateralis. In America, groups like Mastodon, Isis and Baroness had found a way to bridge their sludgy origins to their progressive aspirations. And arguably the most famous metal band whose experiments led them to the land of prog was Opeth. Whereas in the past the Swedish band had tried to balance being both a death metal and prog rock band at the same time, with generally good results mind you, in 2011 they appeared to have made up their mind on the subject. Their Heritage album was notable for being the first record of even a tangentially metallic nature to completely eschew the death style of vocals. And to say that this small change divided the fanbase would be a tremendous understatement, but none of that detracts from the fact that Heritage was the best prog rock album of 2011. This is Nepenthe. Nepenth? Nepenthe. I don't know.
So where does all this leave us in 2021? Although the year has only just started, we've already had some clues as to the state of progressive rock in the current age, as well as the probably should be expected by now album from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. We've also had a very interesting release from Stephen Wilson. Wilson is best known as the frontman for Porcupine Tree, but he also has made a number of well-received solo albums and side projects along the way. His most recent, The Future Bites, was released on January 29th and is quite the departure from previous work. Wilson has ditched the retro prog cosplay for something more modern and even more alienating. The Future Bites is Stephen Wilson's first major foray in, I guess you could call it electropop, but it's a deeply unorthodox version of electropop that still plays to his strengths as one of the modern age's most reliable prog architects. This release has definitely caused some serious divisions inside Wilson's fanbase, but personally, I dig it. How can you call yourself a progressive artist if you don't, you know, progress? But you can make up your own mind as you listen to Personal Shopper from The Future Bites.
sunglasses. Teeth whitening. Deluxe edition box sets. Volcanic ash soap. Anti-aging cream. Self-love. Multivitamin supplements. Noise-canceling headphones. Self-esteem. Designer trainers. Self-indulgent. Diamond cufflinks. Detox drinks. Self-obsession. Self-defense. Smartwatch. Self-defense. Organic LED television. Self-control. Fitness club membership. Self-doubt. Fake eyelashes. Monogram luggage. Self-esteem. 180-gram vinyl. Branded water. Self-help.
Self-love. Self-control. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Outer Limit Frequency. As you should know by now, we have plenty of episodes up on Spotify. I guarantee you'll find something to tickle your fancy. And definitely make sure you tune in next week as I am joined by not only my erstwhile co-host, Sam, but also the machine that goes ding as we jump headfirst into a topic we like to call, what is country music? We'll see you then. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.